You're listening to audio from First Baptist Church Rockville. If you'd like to know more about our church and ministries, please visit our website at fbcrockville.com. So for those of you who don't know, I'm uh, Pastor Robert. I'm the pastor of Families and Worship here at First Baptist Rockville, and I don't always get a chance to preach on Easter, but I will take it when I get it, and I got it. So here I am. Um, I'm really excited. And so uh, if you're a guest, let me welcome you guys. Thank you for joining us for worship. And uh, just a quick thing, uh, somewhere around you, if you don't have a Bible with you, if you're one of our members and you don't have a Bible, shame, and we'll lock you in the stockades later. Um, There should be a Bible somewhere around where you are. Just look under the little racks in front of the chairs. And if you don't own a Bible, it'll look like this. Take it home. It's yours, a gift from us to you. Uh, That way you have a copy of the scriptures. And um, for Pastor Gary, uh, we'll be on page 938. That's okay. So So 938, uh, that's... uh, Woo, don't... Don't spill that. Uh, Luke 24, that's where we'll be today. Luke chapter 24. Now, let me do a review. Who can spout off what we've been talking about the last four weeks? Who's been paying attention? Who took notes? Why did Jesus come? Okay, now more specifically, why did Jesus come? Okay. Yeah, so to, re- so to seek and save the lost, to destroy the works of the devil, to, what did you say? That's what you said. Oh, you said to, uh, something about scripture? Yeah, so to show, us, to show us the Father and to do his will. That's today. You can't cheat. You can't. <laughs> Yes, to deliver us from darkness to light, and today we'll be talking about how Jesus came to claim victory over death. Now, as I was studying this week, um, I had these, one of these really cool moments. I, didn't, I forgot I put a cheat sheet for you guys, so there it is for those of you who didn't have all the answers. Um, I was reading and kind of going through when I knew I had the opportunity to, to preach today. Uh, I was kind of reading through and... Last time I did this whole big long thing, and it was really long, and I apologize to you guys. I don't know if you've forgiven me for three years ago, but it was long. Um, but on uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I think we did all 900 verses, however many are in there. Um, I promise you I'll keep it shorter today. It's only 47 verses. Um, but uh, I was going through that, and I was like, that doesn't really capture where we've been. And so I looked at some of the other, and I landed in Luke 24, and I was reading through it, and it hit me. All of the things that we've been studying happen in Luke 24. Jesus comes, and he seeks and saves lost people. He destroys the works of the devil. He reveals the will of the Father and shows that he's done the will of the Father. He claims victory over death. He brings people from darkness to light. So it's a very... um, 
appropriate text for where we are in our study. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and we will move through this. Thank you guys for being my guinea pigs. I'm going to try something new today, and uh, in a way I've not ever done this before. And um, Julie said it was okay, so if it's terrible, talk to her. So, I love you, honey. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful and humbled for the opportunity to share your word and that in this we might see the powerful victory that Jesus gives over sin and death and not take for granted the the significance of that, not take for granted the magnitude of what it is to be living in light of the resurrection and anticipating the return of the risen King in power and glory. God, that we might look to you, that you might speak to us through your word, that your Holy Spirit would um, soften our hearts, that your spirit would give us insight and God, that we would respond to you in humble, faithful obedience. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so quick background. So it's Easter, it's Resurrection Day. So a couple of days ago, we had a Good Friday service where we focused in a lot on the crucifixion of Christ. Traditionally, Christ was crucified on a Friday and was buried on that same Friday. All right, and so we come to Luke 24. Luke 24 begins really early, around dawn, on a Sunday morning, which is where the Sunday morning, like sunrise service, Easter sunrise services. I don't know many places that do that anymore, but that's why it was a thing, because all this starts around dawn. And so we come to the text, and there's this group of women, the same group of women who were there at the crucifixion. They saw when Jesus was taken off the cross, dead, and they go back and they start preparing spices and oils as was their tradition to to anoint Jesus body to prep him for long-term burial okay so they are they get up before sunrise and they're making their way to where they knew the tomb was because they followed his body from the cross to the tomb so they knew where it was so when you come across a skeptic who says they might not have known No, they knew because they followed and watched him be put in the tomb. They didn't just forget about him. So these women are following, are going out early in the morning. And the Gospel of Mark tells us that they were having this discussion on their way, that they were talking about, okay, so we're going to get there, but they sealed this tomb with a giant stone. How are we going to get the stone out? How are we going to move it so we can get by? Because this stone, depending on what type of stone it was cut out of, would be somewhere between two and 4,000 pounds. Um... And they would dig like a little pit. So when the stone would roll, the stone would sit down into this pit. And so it wasn't just something you pushed and rolled. You had to do some lifting. And I don't know if maybe they were thinking they could like, hey, I'll cook you some banana pudding if you guys, if the guards would move the, I don't know. I don't know what their plan was, but that was their discussion on the way. It was, okay, we're going to get there. And are we even going to be able to get in? And so um, when they get there, Immediately, they spot something's off, something's wrong, because the stone that was supposed to be there wasn't there. Okay. So they kind of 
Just put yourself in the situation. They're walking up and they're anticipating stone there. Stone's not there. So what has happened? So this is kind of mulling through their minds. So out of curiosity, they kind of go a little further and they get up and they peek in and nothing's there. And imagine that kind of shock when they find the tomb and there's no one in it. Because this group of women had no expectation, no anticipation of a resurrection. How do you know that? Because they had gone and prepared all the stuff to bury and preserve him permanently. So they had no expectation of a resurrection. So when they show up, something's immediately wrong. All right, so they go into the tomb. And here's where things get even just a little more bizarre for them because they're in there and I think they were probably having a conversation. I wonder if someone stole him. I wonder if what, what. And then suddenly two men appear. And it says in dazzling clothes. I don't know if they were wearing like Armani suits or what, but it was dazzling. All right. Um, two men appeared to them in dazzling clothes. And in terror, they just kind of fall and kneel down. And they say, why are you looking? All right, we're going home. Okay. It's a good song. (laughs) It was that surprising, if not more. So, (laughs) why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now, go to your text, verse 6 through 7, and I think we have this uh, up there. All right, verses... Uh, five, six, and seven. Um, the women were terrified. They bound down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Underline that. That's one of the most important verses in your entire Bible. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary. Underline that with like double yellow, super highlight or whatever your brights think. It is necessary. You'll see that again. It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words, Jesus' words. So they go into the tomb. No one's there. Then, boom, these guys in Armani suits show up, and they fall down, and they say, no, you're not, you're, you're not getting it. He's not here. He's risen. Jesus is alive. Do you not even remember? He told you this. And then they quote him. And then they're like, oh, yeah. I get it. Okay. So um, the Gospel of John goes a little bit further. If If you read the Gospel of John, Mary Magdalene has this very personal encounter with Jesus somewhere in this scene. And she goes up to this... She goes up to him and she's like, hey, gardener. She just assumed he was the gardener. Um, what'd you do with Jesus? And he's like, uh, Mary. And she's like, oh my gosh, it's you. And so, and she grabs onto him. He says, don't cling to me because I've not yet ascended to my father. But she has this very personal, and I, we don't know why Jesus singled her out in this instance, but he did. She has this very personal encounter with Jesus. And so, They get together, and they go back to the 11. Now, if you remember, it's 11 because Judas had betrayed Jesus and for 30 pieces of silver, sold him out to the powers of be. So they came into the garden, arrested Jesus. So Judas is out of the the disciples. 
So they go and they start recounting, hey, we had gotten the spices, everything was together, everything was kosher, we went, we went to the tomb, hey, the stone was rolled away. It was like, all right, cool, easy access. Maybe they knew where we were coming, but we went on in and Jesus wasn't there. And then these two guys in our mountain shoot show up and they tell us that he's alive. And then Mary in John tells Jesus, she's frantic, or tells Peter, Jesus has risen, the Lord has risen. Now, um, verse 11, so they're telling all of this. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. So they tell them this huge story, and the disciples are like, you're nuts. Like, get out of here with that mess. That's stupid. Something else has happened. They don't believe. But for whatever reason, and I don't know, I mean, it's pretty on brand for Peter. Peter, being curious and impulsive, cuts out running towards the tomb and kind of a comical scene in, in one in one sense is that Peter probably being the oldest of the 12 starts hustling out the door and I can see if you read the book of John John the disciple John starts running after him and John beats him there and I just wonder if it was me being the age that I am if I am running to somewhere I'm not racing you but if I were to cut out running and Wyatt were to cut out running after me, I promise he would win whether we were racing or not. And there would be some trash talk at the end of it. You know, he'd be like, oh, I just smoked you. I was like, I wasn't racing you. I just wonder if that was like Peter's like, what are you doing, you knucklehead? We're just, we're just going there. Why are you trying to beat me? So they get there. John stops at the, at the entrance and it says Peter comes along a little bit after and he peeks in and he sees the clothes that Jesus was buried in, folded at the foot of the little ledge where he was laid. And that's where the scene ends. All right, so it kind of cuts, uh, starting in verse 13, whole nother scene. It says, later that day, Later that day, two of Jesus' followers, it only names one of them in this passage, but two guys, they were walking. And they were walking from Jerusalem, and they were walking down to this little town called Emmaus. We don't know where Emmaus is. There's some argument where it is, but it was seven miles away from Jerusalem in some direction. And it says they were sitting there and chatting. Now imagine um, that you had witnessed all that had happened leading up from Palm Sunday, Jesus comes in to Jerusalem with all this fanfare, riding on a donkey, people laying palm fronds on the ground, Hosanna, Hosanna, chanting. And we're talking about a, a time of year where Jerusalem could swell to about 2 million people. So imagine Indianapolis going nuts for one guy showing up. And then by the end of that week, they've got him killed. And try and wrap your brain around that. And especially if you're one of the followers of this guy. Like, what happened? How did this go off the rails? And so they're having this kind of heated discussion about what really went wrong is kind of the, what the text indicates. And maybe, um, maybe they were debating, you know, why or how or whose fault it was or whatever. But then, then all of a sudden... Jesus shows up and just kind of walks up alongside them. And it says that they were 
uh, kept from recognizing him. Now, I wanted to show a movie clip here, but I couldn't because it was $100 to do it legally. So, who has seen the 1978 Superman with Christopher Reeve? All right. One of my pet peeves growing up, how did Lois Lane not realize that that's the same dude? Okay, now, find this scene, because I, I showed it to Julie, I showed it to the kids, because it hit me when I was probably about 19 or 20 years old. I was watching the movie, and I was like, oh, that's A, magnificent acting on this one scene, um, and B, it really clarified in my mind how the same person can look like not the same person. So the scene, pretty midway through the movie, Superman, you know the scene where Superman and Lois are flying? And, you know, she's like going through all this stuff in her head and he's holding her hand and they're just flying through Metropolis and he drops her and then flies down and catches her and brings her back to the balcony. In that scene, Superman or Clark Kent was supposed to have a date with Lois Lane. And so Superman sits her on the balcony. He's like, good night, Miss Lane, and flies off. And 30 seconds later, Clark Kent's at her door knocking. She opens the door. And a different man walks in that door. He's kind of hunched, and he's got the glasses on, and his voice is different. And in that scene, he is contemplating, should I tell Lois Lane who I really am? And he, he I can't do it because I'm not Christopher Reeve, but um, she walks off, off camera, and he takes his glasses off, and he stands up straight and honestly gets about four inches taller in that scene. And, and it's like rewind it. He just grows. And that's not a camera trick. That's his acting. And his voice changes and the way he addresses her. I was like, you know what? If they had no, if she had no anticipation, there's no way that this dork is Superman. No way. So that anticipation, there's no way that this dork is Superman. And I just wonder if Jesus just kind of had changed his countenance or just like, it wasn't like this shielding, but he just was like, incognito in a way where they didn't recognize. Anyway, you, you have to have conversations with me if you want to understand the way this nerd brain works. Anyway, so that's what I thought of was the way Clark Kent kind of shielded who he was. Um, so Jesus comes up and real nonchalantly was like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And well, Pay attention to the answer. Uh, go down to verse 18. All right, so the one named Cleopas, he answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happen here in these days? Which is an ironic question. He's like, yeah, I know exactly what happened. Because, But anyway, Jesus, what things, he said. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handled, handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. All right, and we'll kind of pause right there. Question and answer time. What's right with the answer? Okay. 
What else is right? So he's saying he was a prophet. What else is right about the, the, the answer that Cleopas gives? Because it wasn't all wrong. So what, what was right about it? What was good about what he said? Okay, we will get to that, but yes. Yeah, he was mighty indeed. Um, so, what's wrong with what he said then? That's easy to pick up on. All right, think, think, let me give, I'll give you just a, here's your hint for the day. You get one. Um, think in Matthew, well, It's in Luke 9 too, but Jesus is talking. Who do people say that I am? Oh, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say, okay. But who do you say that I am? Talking to Peter. You're Christ, the son of the living God. So this is what to me is so different about what this guy Cleopas, who was supposedly a Jesus follower, misses on the answer. Yeah, Jesus was a prophet, and we know like he holds the, the prophet, priest, and king. He holds those titles, but he misses. He doesn't acknowledge that this guy was the son of God. He doesn't acknowledge this. And his understanding of what Jesus really came to do, which is why we're having this series, so you can understand what Jesus really came to do, is so misguided. But it's ironic. Look at what he says. We were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Eve. Uh, Israel. Do you see the irony in that statement? Because what he did exactly <laughs> redeems Israel and mankind by that. So I, I find that incredibly ironic. So go on and kind of skip down to verse 25. So he said, <laughs> He said to them, because all Cleopas does after that is just kind of recount, hey, and here's what the ladies told us. And uh, Peter ran off and said, um, said that he had seen it. So 25 through 27. He said to them, Jesus, how foolish and slow are you to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Underline, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory. The begin, then beginning with Moses, JV, we've talked about this for like three or four weeks in a row. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus did this. He's like, okay, no, go ahead. All of it is about me. All of it, the whole Old Testament. And that's all they have. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't have Acts. They didn't have Romans. They didn't have any of Paul's letters yet. Jesus saying, look, you're missing it. The guy that you're looking for had to suffer. The guy you're looking for had to die. The guy you're looking for is going to rise again. Hello. And all of the Old Testament says so. Okay. So they keep walking, and they get to the town in Mass, and the two men, they stop for the night. They're tired. It's seven miles, and it's seven miles through rocky, hilly ground in really bad sandals. Um, and so 
They get to Emmaus. And the two men stop for the night, and Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to keep on going. They're like, no, 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 stay, stay. It's late. Uh, you know, just hang out. Have some dinner, you know. So they sit down, and they're sitting around, and there's no indication of how long it was, but they get the meal together, and Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and they're like, oh, it's Jesus! And, and he's like, yep, and then disappears. Like, what? Who does that? Why would you do that? But yeah, he breaks the bread and blesses it, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're the guy! And he's like, yeah, sorry, holler. And, okay. Verse 32. <laughs> they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts burning? <laughs> Think of it now. You had no expectation of this guy raising from the dead. He shows up. You don't recognize him, and he starts explaining. Imagine getting a one-on-one -on -one personal sermon from Jesus himself telling you about the entire Old Testament and how it points to him. Yes, sign me up. And if it takes all day, I'm all right. If it takes a seven-mile walk through the mountains with bad sandals on, I'm in. So weren't our hearts burning while he was telling us all of these things? And so they get up, hustle seven miles uphill this time. And it may have been uphill both ways. I don't know. But they hustle because, never mind. So they go back to Jerusalem late at night. They get back to where the, the disciples are. Hey, guess what just happened to us? And so, well, the, the Lord has been raised, is what the Bible says, that they, they got up, they hustled back to Jerusalem, and they tell the disciples, Jesus is alive. And he says that the Lord has been raised and appeared to Simon which is really out of left field because it's the only time in the Bible that that appearance of Jesus to Peter is even mentioned. And I don't know why there's no other detail in it, but it's just kind of like a, yeah, he didn't just show up to us, but he also showed up to Peter and Peter's like, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, be sure too. All right, so they hustle back and then all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is there. And he just appears out of nowhere and says, peace to you. And it, what? So I mean, imagine you're just like, you're getting this news from these guys who just hustled seven miles up a mountain and they get to you. Hey, Jesus is alive. And then Jesus is like, yup. And I'm like, wait, what? And so Jesus appears from nowhere. And could you imagine how jarring it is and they're all like, oh, it's Jesus. And he's like, says that they thought he was a ghost. And so Jesus, like, okay, so you don't believe. Well, here's the scars. So you see the scars. Um, does a ghost have flesh and blood? And so, and then he's like, and what you got to eat? All right, you just got here, man. Um, so they give him this piece of broiled fish. Now, I think this is in order to kind of poke holes in this theory that it was a mass hallucination 
or that they saw what was maybe an apparition because Jesus' point is, I'm eating food. Ghosts don't eat food. I don't care what Slimer did in Ghostbusters. Ghosts don't eat food. Some of y'all got it. All right, so ghosts don't eat. There's no physical body there. But Jesus munches down this fish. Well, he just he busts into this meeting supernaturally, munches on a fish, proves he's not a ghost, and after they, had, they just had declared that he was alive, it's really kind of a comedic scene because all these guys are just like Jesus pops in again. So, verse 44. We're getting close. We're getting close. Verse 44. So he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, underlined, must be fulfilled. He's just saying the same thing that had been said two previous times in a different way. Must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Excuse me. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. So do you see it? Do you see what we've been talking about for the last four weeks? Do you see in this passage, in this story, Jesus seeking and saving It was Jesus who initiated all these encounters. It was Jesus. Remember what we talked about with Mary. It was Jesus who came to Mary. It was Jesus who went to the men on the Emmaus Road. It was Jesus who shows up in this meeting of the disciples. It's Jesus who seeks and saves. And it's Jesus who explains the scriptures to all these groups that they might believe. Do you see Jesus destroying the works of the devil in this passage? And see, here, this may be hard to catch, Go all the way back to Genesis, right after the fall. God's talking to his fallen humanity, and he's kind of telling, here's what it's going to be like now. But he makes a promise in Genesis 3.15. just says the serpent is going to bruise the heel of the son uh, or the seed of the woman, but he will crush the serpent's head. This is Jesus stomping the head of that certain serpent that we call Satan. In John 13, if you were to read, and read carefully, there's a lot of um, debate, which I think is nonsense, of, uh, and I actually have heard people say, Judas is the hero of the New Testament because without him, Jesus doesn't get crucified. In John 13, it says that Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus calls Judas the son of perdition. So it is the work of Satan that in Judas that causes all of this. And really it's Jesus' plan, God the Father's plan all along. And he's just using his puppet to make things happen. Look back again at the the intent of Satan in that was to crush the Messiah, and he had his head crushed when Jesus rose from the grave. Now, do you see in this passage Jesus revealing the Father and doing his will? 
back in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, it was the first time I remember reading it. Uh, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, and by the scribes, and be killed, and then be raised again on the third day. And then in this passage, three more times, it was necessary. It was necessary. Not it happened and we didn't want it to happen. It was necessary. It was the plan of God all along that Jesus be rejected, be crucified, and be raised again on the third day. Verse 7, it was necessary. Verse 26, it was necessary. Verse 44, he tells all the things and then said, they must be done. So he didn't use the same words, but it means the same thing. It was necessary. Do you see Jesus revealing the Father and doing his will in verses 46 and 47? Look at them again. He also said to them, this is what was written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. This is the great commission in Luke. It reiterates, I should reiterate that word. It reiterates what God had already said in the Old Testament uh, if you look at Malachi, verse 111, he says, My name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. Jesus revealing the will of the Father and doing the will of the Father and then taking one step further and saying, hey, You too. Get on board with it. And do you see... In this passage, Jesus delivering from darkness to light. Look at verse 8. The angels tell the ladies at the, hey, this is what he already told you. And then it says they remembered what he had said. In verse 45, the same sort of thing. He unloads on them, hey, this is all, all of the things that, that I had told you. And then he said, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And we already talked about it. But verse 21, Cleopas saying, hey, this is a guy we were hoping was the one who was about to redeem Israel, which to me is ironic and short-sighted because Jesus is the redeemer of the whole world. And then do you see Jesus claiming victory over death? He says it in verse 46, that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see Paul going back over this again, that he asks, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. And the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's where we land on all this. And it's just a pretty simple, not theologically particularly deep, but meaningful. What do you do with all of it? And so there's kind of two camps. 
And everybody in this passage kind of went from camp A to camp B, but this denying of who Jesus really is. And you really see it with Cleopas, who's like, yeah, this guy was a pretty good prophet, and he seemed to speak for God. We were hoping he was more, but he kind of let us down. But he didn't. He was more. He is more. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God Almighty. Jesus is the creator of heaven and earth, eternal, immortal, invincible God. And here, if you are here, you're here for a reason. If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, Jesus is seeking to save you right now. Like I said, why do you think you're here? Jesus wants to, can, and will break the work of the devil in your life. He's showing in your life who God really is and what he wants for your life. And he wants to bring you from darkness to life. And he has conquered sin and death. And what are you going to do with it? And the call, just like we read here, is to repent and believe You can have doubts. That's fine. Everybody, I think, has doubts at some point or another. Um, One person who's interestingly missing from this whole thing is Thomas. Again, if you were to read the book of John, Thomas doesn't see the risen Lord for another week after all of this. And another appearance of Jesus. Jesus kind of shows up again in the midst of the crowd. And in my head, Peter's like, will you stop doing that? Um, But Jesus kind of shows up because Thomas had said, look, I don't care what you guys say. You're all fools. Until I can see Jesus myself and touch his hands and touch his side, I will not believe. And Jesus kind of shows up and he's like, well, here they are. Here's the hands. Here's the side. And Thomas falls down and he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, you know what? You're blessed because you saw and you believed, but blessed are those who don't see and then believe. Blessed are those who don't see and and then still believe. That's the call of Christ for you if you are not a follower today. If you're not fully going after Christ with all that you have, if you have not surrendered your life to Him, that's the call, is to believe. Now, Christian, Christ follower, what's the call in your life? In light of the resurrection, what do you do? In light of all this, and it's really simple, and it's the same thing. You believe, and in believing, the word of the gospel goes out to the end of the earth, Period. That's our job. That's why we're here. We're here to spread the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go for however long God gives us breath to breathe in and out. Period. That is our call. So, we're going to take a couple minutes. Um, We're going to pray. I'm going to ask Pastor Gary if he would just kind of stand down here. If you would like to talk or know more about how, like, how do I follow Christ? What does that mean? How do I, how do I do this? 
Uh, Pastor Gary will be down here, and Lori, if you don't mind, if you would be available to talk to people just in case. Um, but we're going to sing a song, and um, just during that short period of time, and then we'll pray and leave. So let's go ahead and pray, and, and then we'll get on the song. Father, um, we thank you for the work of Christ and all that he's done, that he, he does seek and save the lost, that he does break the power of Satan, that he does show us who you really are and shows us how to do your will, that Jesus has brought us from darkness to light and he has conquered sin and death. And just for this next few minutes, um, just that you would have sway in our hearts, that those wrestling with you would stop wrestling and surrender. And realize today is the day of salvation for those who are Christians who are wrestling with you, saying, no, I, I don't want to, God, that you would let them lay down their strongholds, their areas that they, they won't let you in. God, that that would all be given to you. In Jesus' name, amen.